like, man, I should have watched that before I got up to preach. A little uh, teary-eyed there. I tell you what, I should check those videos out before, before Sunday morning. Anyhow, good story. It's not too late to pack a shoebox. Amazing. We touched on this last week, how the Bible says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And the kindness he received in that shoebox put his faith in God, and he said he confessed his sins and uh, was led to the Lord. So as you can see that story across the world. Well, my three-year-old is in preschool a few days a week, and he's learning a lot. He knows how to spell his name. Uh, he can say the Pledge of Allegiance. He can say the months of the year, even though it sounds like March, April, May. <laughs> First two don't quite sound right, but the rest of them do. Uh, but what's more important really for him is he's learning how to act and how to relate with children his own age. Uh, he's the youngest of, uh, in the house of everybody else's double digits but him. And um, so he oftentimes has the attitude of both a three-year-old and a 15-year-old. So uh, it's good for him to learn how to act, to relate with other children his age. And you know, one of the things that children start doing at his age is they start lying. Have you noticed that? Not, not like nefarious lying. Uh, it's, it starts out innocent enough. Uh, maybe sometimes you think they're just confused, but there's been a few times where I ask him a, to, a question and he'll tell me a story that it's, it's clearly a lie, right? <laughs> like that did not happen to him, and I don't think he's an imagination. He's just telling me something that, you know, I think he, he wants to tell me something that he did or be proud of him or something like that. And so a couple times he's told me something that I know is not true. And so I've talked to him about the importance of telling the truth, right? And uh, the other day he, he, I asked him to do something or whatever, and, and he didn't do it. And I said, don't do that. And he said, God said I could. And I said, <laughs> I said no, he didn't. He said, God, I told the three-year-old, God would never tell you to do something. Uh, that your parents said you can't do, especially if it's not what God would do. And he just stared at me. <laughs> uh, so I just, sometimes I just know, right? And, and telling the truth is something you learn as, as early as three or four years old. And as you grow older, part of the job of your parents, part of the job of those who have influence in your life, is to teach you the importance of telling the truth. Now, unfortunately, as people get older... Uh, they get better at lying, as we know. Even though we shouldn't lie, it becomes easy to lie. People get good at lying, and sometimes they don't even realize they're lying because they lie so much or they get so good at it. Because many times in our lives and relationships and things that telling the truth can be risky. Telling the truth can be even dangerous. But we live in an age that's been described as an age of misinformation. An age of misinformation. You know, if you don't read broadly, if you only go to one or two sources for your news, there's a very good chance that you're going to be misinformed in some way. Because we live in a culture of 
misinformation. And part of the challenge of living in our age of misinformation is understanding falsehood when we encounter it. Today we're looking at a passage of Scripture that will show us the importance of knowing and believing the truth when it appears in our lives. Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left the children, left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, verse 34, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but God of the living. For all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared ask him any question. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage today, my prayer is that when we encounter any type of situation where the truth of Christianity is challenged, that we too will model Jesus and that we will answer well to anything that comes against our faith. But Lord, in order to answer well, we need to know what your word says and we need to have your spirit guiding us and showing us what is true and what is false. Well, we thank you for passages like this which calls us to stop, think, ponder about the truths that you give us, Lord. And so as we hear from you today, I pray that my words reflect your truth today, and that you fill me with the spirit of truth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm going to give you three truths about truth. I thought that was funny. Three truths about truth. Truth, number one, truth is more powerful than wrong logic. Truth is more powerful than wrong or, or faulty logic. 
Look at verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question. So previously we had learned about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the learned rabbis of the day. They were a combination of scholar, priest, pastor, lawyer, kind of a Frankenstein type of person, right? All these areas we think of. The Pharisees believed in the entire Old Testament to be the authoritative word of God. Uh, they would be considered religious nationalists is what they would be considered. So they did not trust the Roman government at all. But the Sadducees were a little different. They only believed in the authority of the first five books of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all they believed in the authority of. So because of this, their belief system developed where they did not believe in a literal bodily resurrection from the believer from the dead. Did not believe that one day all believers would be resurrected. Furthermore, they were more open to working with the Roman government and the Pharisees. So they would be, I guess, considered more liberal in that way, politically. But they did not like Jesus. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a common enemy in Jesus. One was further right than the other, but they both did not like Jesus. And one of the ways that the Sadducees would debate theology is that they would make fun of the Pharisees and the other Jews who believed in this so-called resurrection. So this conversation we're about to see was a chance for these Sadducees to trap Jesus into making him seem embarrassed in some way by giving him this incredible situation. Here's, here's the trap. Teacher, he says, Moses wrote us that if a man's brother dies having a wife, but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So Sadducees here, are, they're referring to a law where a man was to marry the widowed wife of the brother if she had no children. That was part of the law there in the Torah. This law was given to protect the woman and to help grow the family line. Today is Widows and Orphans Sunday, and we don't think about how in, in this part of the world, and, and still many part of the world's, uh, world, even back then, or back then, uh, widow was a dangerous place to be. And so that's why this, this uh, uh, rule is given. So based on this law, which they believed in, they try to trap Jesus theologically in his belief of the resurrection from the dead. Here's what they say. Now, suppose this were to happen, and there were seven brothers, Jesus. The first took a wife, died without children, and the second did, and he died without children. And, and the third took her, and he died without children. And I think at this point she'd be called the black widow. I don't know, right? But all seven, all seven left, no children, and died. Then finally the woman died. So Jesus, in this resurrection, in this resurrection, whose wife will she be? Who, whose wife will she be in heaven? Right? Who's she going to be living with in heaven? What's her house going to be like? What, what room is she going to be in? Is there going to be a husband for every day of the week? Explain that, Jesus. How does it work? 
in this resurrection. Now, because marriage is an institution created by God, they wanted to know how Jesus would reconcile this. There were no divorces. These men just died seven in a row. It's just a woman who's been married seven times, a widow seven times. How does this work in the resurrection? If it exists, Jesus, explain it to us. And as you're going to see, this wrong logic was meant to be deceptive. But faith in Christ and Christ is stronger than any type of deceptive, faulty, or wrong logic. I heard someone say the other day uh, on an interview that they didn't like people who were narrow-minded. And I thought to myself, that's a very narrow-minded way of thinking. <laughs> Think about it. You'll get that from self. I don't like anyone who's, who's narrow-minded. Well, you're narrow-minded. Because now you have people you don't like. You should open your mind and be open to all the people. And how do you even define what narrow-minded is? Narrow-minded simply means you disagree with my way of life. That's all narrow-minded means. See, our culture does not do logic very well. You know, uh, what people are really saying when they say something like this is they want someone to be open-minded to their narrow-mindedness. That's what they're saying. I'm not going to be open-minded to your worldview, but I want you to be open-minded to my narrow-mindedness. And if you don't, you're narrow-minded. That doesn't make sense. What they're saying is, accept what I say as truth. And this is just another, what we call exclusive truth claim. And they say that they have a problem with Christians believing that Jesus Christ is the truth, and they'll say, you can't believe that. And I'll say, oh, so I should believe what you say I should believe instead then, right? So Jesus says one thing, and you say, you can't believe that, so then I'm supposed to reject one exclusive claim and take your exclusive claim, right? Should I conform to your narrow-mindedness as well? See, Thankfully, faith in Christ is much stronger than bad logic, faulty logic, as we're going to see. Secondly, truth is more powerful than wrong beliefs. Truth is more powerful than wrong beliefs. Verse 34, Jesus gives an answer. And he said to them, the sons of this age, talking about right now in his life at that point, they marry and are given in marriage. So he, he explains, yes, that happens. There, there is marriage in this life. And so as I mentioned earlier, this entire belief system that the Sadducees had is, is based on bad theology. It's based on understanding God's ways of working in his plan. So Jesus says marriage is for our life on earth right now. Yes, marriage is God's plan for, for man and wife in this age of creation and life. God, yes, he has instituted marriage to be the foundation of society and culture. And through marriage, men and women have a partnership together. They raise children, they procreate, uh, and that is the bedrock of a civilization and society. But furthermore, marriage is also an analogy. It's a metaphor of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. 
The church is referred to as the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom. So yes, marriage is foundational for the Christian faith in many, many ways. But post-resurrection, the purpose of marriage comes to an end. Some of you are going to be like, now what are you talking about, preacher? I'm just telling you what Jesus says. Post-resurrection, the purpose of marriage comes to an end. Verse 35, look what he says. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Now there's several things in here that can confuse you. Let's, let's make sure we understand what we're learning about here. Jesus says that when we are resurrected from the dead, when Christ comes back, when we are resurrected from the dead, we are not going to be married. Remember, you are married until what do you part? Death. Well, you're dead. Now you're resurrected. You've died. You're resurrected. All right. We're not going to be married. We're not going to be remarried or married anew or married again in the new heavens and the new earth. So when you're in, in heaven, you might not, you're not going to be married to your spouse, but you don't have to worry about them marrying someone else either in heaven. You don't have to worry about them saying, well, you know what? Our life was great for 60 years, but I'm going with somebody else in heaven for eternity because there is no marriage in heaven. This is, this is hard for some people now because a lot of this is all we've known for a lot of our lives. And I had a friend in seminary who's a pastor now who really had a hard deal with this. He's like, well, I just can't imagine not being married to my wife. And I said, well, doesn't mean you can't hang out with her. <laughs> doesn't mean you can't walk the streets of gold with her. I mean, it's heaven, you know, but there's no marriage. The purpose of marriage has come to an end, as we've talked about. Now, he says in verse 36 that just because we're because we resurrected, we cannot die anymore, that we are similar to angels. And it doesn't mean we're like angels. We don't become angels in heaven. We're created distinctly different from angels. But like angels, we're, we're considered sons of God because we are sons of the resurrection. Because just like angels in heaven are sinless, we are sinless in heaven. That's what he's saying. So the problem of a woman having seven husbands will not exist after the resurrection in heaven because marriage does not exist post Resurrection. Now, some of you are upset by this, and others of you might be breathing a sigh of relief. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where you're at on that. But the institution of marriage and family was for this age, this age. And it was foundational for a lot of things. But in heaven, everything is about the family of God. This is yet another reason, another reason why on earth we cannot put our family before faith in God. We can't put our family before faith in God. We cannot love our spouse more than God. We cannot love our children more than God. And we certainly can't love our grandchildren more than God. Because in heaven, we will certainly not be enjoying our spouse on earth, our earthly children more then we enjoy God. Family is a wonderful gift 
of God, but it is not our God. It's not. Our faith is in God, not our family relationships. You cannot love your spouse correctly if you're putting them and your expectations of them above your expectations in love for God. You cannot love your children well or the way God intended if you are putting your expectations or love for your children above the expectations and love for your husband and then above the expectations of love for your God. So it really needs to be like this. It needs to be faith and then family and then football. That's what it needs to be. <laughs> Those three things, not out of order. Faith. And then family. So, this faulty belief system affects our life on this earth now. The Sadducees never thought about this. Oh, wait, there won't be marriage in heaven? Jesus says, your little silly trap discussion is nonsensical because it doesn't make any sense because that's not reality. That's not what heaven's going to be like. She's not going to have to sort out who her husband is in heaven because there is no marriage in heaven. Marriage was for this age. It will not affect our life post-resurrection. So truth is more powerful than wrong beliefs. See, wrong beliefs lead us to make all kind of choices in this life right now and decisions and thinking that are devastating. And finally, number three, truth is more powerful than wrong interpretations. Truth is more powerful than wrong interpretations. The main problem in this situation is that the Sadducees had a wrong interpretation of Scripture. It's one thing to have bad logic. It's another thing to have a, a, a bad belief system. But these belief systems are wrong because they're based on wrong interpretations of scripture and the thing about interpretations is this there's only one right answer now we can have discussions about certain theological things where there's more acceptable wrong answers i would say maybe but there's only one right answer there can be many acceptable interpretations of scripture but they can't all be right well there's disagreement of, over how we should conduct baptism in the Christian faith. So we have some that baptize babies, some baptize adults. Well, they both can't be right. We know that. In heaven, we'll know the Baptists were right. I mean, that's why we're Baptists. We believe it. So we could be wrong, but we're not. But we could be. There's the only one right answer. See, they can't all be right. If all possibilities were right, it would break what philosophers call the law of non-contradiction. For instance, you can't say that the way to heaven is just to be, I mean, you can say, well, you know, the way to heaven is just to be a good person. And you can say, well, you know, the way to heaven is just to reach enlightenment. Or you can say, you know, no, the way to heaven is through Jesus or you can say, you know, there is no heaven at all. And logically speaking, all could be possible answers 
but not all can be correct. Only one can be correct. Only one. See, an exclusive claim is either right or wrong. Even the belief system that says all beliefs are right makes no sense. It's stating that all beliefs are right, so therefore your belief is wrong? That doesn't make any sense. If you say all beliefs are right, then how can my belief be right? Because my belief says only Christ is right. Makes no sense. Our culture cannot do logic or they just don't want to. Our culture, many times it comes to truth, is like an ostrich putting its head in the sand. Just doesn't want to do it because of the ramifications. So in this next part, Jesus corrects their wrongs. And he takes them to the part of the Bible that they believe in. Takes them to the first five books of the Bible, of the, of the Bible and shows them how their interpretation is even wrong about not believing in the resurrection. Look what he says, verse 37. But that the dead are raised, he says, even Moses showed. They believed in Moses. Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, which happened in Exodus, which they believed in, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, people who had died on the earth. But he says, how can he be the God of these people if they're dead? They're not dead. They're living. Why? Because they've been resurrected. Sadducees, you've missed it. Even in your narrow book of faith, you have the wrong interpretation. When dealing with wrong interpretations, it's helpful to be able to enter into a person's world and show them, especially if they challenge you, show them how their interpretation is wrong. Just like John David told me God told him to do it. No, he didn't tell you to do it. And I'll tell you why, how I know that. God would never tell you to disobey your parents when your parents told you to do a good thing. And just like John David stared at me, look what happened in verse 39. Some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask any question. See, the thing about speaking truth is this. Many times when you speak the truth, there is no response. There's no response. There's not, many times there's not an agreement. There's not, there's not you know what? You're right. Or there's not a, you know what? You changed my mind, although it can happen. Typically, there's just silence. Because that's the power of truth. That's the power of truth. Right? So, why is this passage in here, in the Bible? What is, what is God trying to get us to understand today? That today is the day to believe in the truth of the gospel. God loved the world so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, was born in a manger, as we're going to celebrate for Christmas here in a month. Grew up, lived the life we couldn't live, never sinned, never broke any rules. And then on the cross, he took the punishment that was meant for us, that we deserve because we sinned. He took it on the cross so that those who would believe in him would have their sins forgiven, would be saved, whether it's 
a little boy growing up in Northeast Colombia, whether it's a little boy with no shoes in Africa, doesn't matter who or where. But God's kindness leads us to repentance. Confession of sin. If you've never, if you've never believed in Jesus before today, maybe today is the day that you do that. Or maybe today is the day that you realize that, yes, I'm a believer. There's a lot of things in my life that I, that I live by. I'm not sure if they match up with the Bible. I'm not sure they align with God's word. Today, ask the Lord to help you and show you where in your life do you need to have your faith in Christ, the truth of Jesus, change why you do the things you do and why you live the way you live. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are in Christ Jesus. And as we close our time together, there's a lot of hard truths that we don't quite understand and that are, seem foreign to us. We can't imagine a, a, an eternity walking in heaven with everybody being single. But we know, because you've told us, how amazing it'll be. It confuses us, Lord. Adam and Eve are themselves were the first married couple. It's hard for us to understand that. But Jesus said it. And we have to understand that a relationship with you in heaven surpasses all else. Because, Lord, you created us and you designed us for that. Father, help us understand that as we enjoy this life you've given us. Let us love those you've put in our life. Let us love our spouses well and, and love our children and grandchildren and our parents well. But let us not put our love for them over our love for you because we cannot love them correctly when we're not loving you. Father, we love you. That's who we love. Help us put you in the center of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.